Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. This episode is brought to you by the Boneyard Huskies Club. The Boneyard Huskies Club empowers athletes while providing UConn fans with access to exclusive community, utility, and rewards. The Boneyard Huskies Club is excited to announce the next collection of student-athlete collectibles, which grant club membership privileges, will feature UConn men's basketball players, and drop on January 26, 2023. For more information, go to BoneyardHuskiesClub.com. That's Huskies with a Y-Z at the end. BoneyardHuskiesClub.com. We've got UConn Xavier coming our way. Probably the biggest game of UConn season uh, to date right now. So there's no one else I'd rather have joined me than than John Fanta. So John, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jared. It is great to be with you ahead of a really intriguing showdown in stores on Wednesday night. Now we get into these rematches in the Big East. And look, the season arc for both Connecticut and Xavier has changed significantly from that first meeting between the two teams on New Year's Eve when UConn went into that game undefeated. Will the Huskies show us the best version of themselves? Will they be able to get a marquee win on their home court? And it's all about holding serve at home in the Big East. That's the opportunity at hand for UConn, an opportunity to get revenge. And this is a proving week for Xavier that their dynamic offense and that their toughness could travel. It didn't work well at DePaul. They lost at DePaul, who just lost to Georgetown of all teams. So now Xavier's at UConn before going to Creighton. A massive week for the 8-1 and one Musketeers. And for the Huskies, a chance to show everybody that, hey, the claims that they're falling off the cliff or that this season's in total free fall, those were premature. A lot to think about heading into this matchup. So, John, as you mentioned, the, the seasons have kind of flipped for both UConn and Xavier since the last time they played, with, with UConn having gone into that game undefeated. Xavier, people still trying to figure out exactly what they might be. At this point in the season, what are your thoughts on this UConn team as a whole in, in thinking about both the highs and lows they've been through you know, so far this season? Yeah, I think it's a team that, to me, surprised out of the gates and was better than anybody thought that they would have been heading into the year. I mean, I I don't even think UConn staff thought that they would be sitting at 14-0. How could you have possibly thought that going into the season? So you build up so much goodwill, and they were performing out of their shoes. Well, eventually, in the Big East, you're going to get humbled. There's great coaches in the league. And when you're on such a high, Jaron, you almost forget you almost forget what it's even like to lose. And I, I think for this team, responding from the losses has been more challenging than you would think because they went so long without a loss. I mean that that's how I that's how I feel. And as a result, you lose your way. And a lot of the mistakes that they're making are results of them really being in their own heads. To me, it was indicative at Seton Hall. UConn was better than Seton. UConn was better than Seton Hall. UConn's better than Seton Hall by about 15 points. They beat themselves by missing bunnies, by turning the ball over, by not having a killer instinct. To me, this team has great talent. They have versatility. They've got one of the best freshmen in the country in Donovan Klingon, who I think they need to ride more. Adama Sonogo, as much as he's shown some signs a little bit lately of maybe he's wearing down a little bit, Look, he's still an All-American on his best day. 
And to me, to me, the biggest question at the start of the season, Jared Kotler, was what would this team's backcourt look like? And frankly, as we're talking now, it's a hard backcourt to trust night in and night out in the Big East because they're soul-searching at times. Their guards have been up and down. It's been a teeter-totter. And when you don't have consistency at the guard spots, it's very difficult to win in a league like the Big East. I think that that, that uh, backcourt inconsistency, I, I think, has been what's made this team interesting to watch over these past couple of weeks. I mean, when they were playing really well early on in the season, you know, it, it resulted in wins over Alabama and Iowa State. And when they haven't played great, it, again, resulted in losses, like you mentioned, St. John, Seton Hall. When you look at this roster, to this point in the season, who would you say has impressed you the most from this team so far? Great question. I mean, I, I would tell you that Donovan Klingens impressed me the most, Jared, because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure what to – you know, a guy that occupies that much room – Oftentimes, it's really hard for a freshman post to make the transition to break through like that. So to me, he did right off the bat. I mean, he he really did. I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but it's not like I had major expectations for Joey Calcaterra. And frankly, he, he has come in and really impressed me. I mean, he plays a key role for this team. He hits timely shots when they need him to and has done that. And he's gone through his spells. But honestly, those two have been pleasant surprises. I think Hassan Diara needs to play some more. I mean, I, I love his toughness. I love the way he defends. I think he's a guy that, that has a, that does have a killer mindset and is a kid from Queens. His game really fits. And I wasn't sure what to expect from Diara at the start of the season, but he has impressed me as well. You know, you, you bring up all those, all three of those guys. To me, we, we thought that Jordan Hawkins would be great. When that shot gets into rhythm, it, it's just scary. I mean, it is. You, there's nothing that an opposing defense can do when Hawkins locks in from the perimeter. So for me, Jared, I, I've been impressed with those guys. I, I'm not going to say I've been overly impressed with Sonogo because I think he's kind of done what I thought he would. Caravan has had some ups and downs. He's shown some good signs. I think his big picture, the big picture for Caravan is a great one. But if you ask me, you know, who's impressed me the most? Look, Klingon, Calcaterra. Those guys, I wasn't sure what to expect. They both have been great. Kind of on the flip side, when you're looking at this team and maybe some of the the issues they've had of late, how do you see this team being able to improve and kind of get back to where it was when it was winning those, you know, all those games at the start of the season? Well, they've got to get in sync between Tristan Newton, Hassan Diara, Naheem Aline. I mean, that, that trio's got to be in in a in a rhythm, relatively. It can't just be the Hawkins show, Jared. It can't. Because that that's not good enough to win against power conference foes. And that's what made UConn so dangerous early in the season. They would just come at you like an avalanche with different guys who could make things happen. I think pace is important for this team. When they generate tempo, they're really dangerous. They could go on 12-0 runs like it's nothing. But you can't you can't you can't get lost in turnovers. You can't get lost in the half-court offense where you're not taking high-percentage shots. And you can't, allow, you can't allow some of your offensive flaws to then dictate what you do defensively. And I feel that with UConn. I mean, I think you'd have to agree. I think you'd have to agree. On the defensive end of the floor, they haven't been as good as they were early in the season. No. getting beat. You, you could see guys getting beat right off the bounce. That can't happen. That can't happen. So for me, 
you know, you, you have to be able to look yourselves in the mirror and say, all right, all right, here's where we're at. We've gone through some rough patches. We're five and five in the Big East. Stop thinking about the race or where we stand. Let's start thinking about how we get to the best version of ourselves. Tristan Newton, you've got to play confidently. You were brought to UConn for a reason, young fella. This is your chance to, to now put it together here. You came to UConn to go on this type of run in January and February. And you know what? A one seed's out of the question, and a two seed probably is too. But why can't UConn, if they go on another run, why can't they get a three or a four seed? I mean, that, that, that would be an accomplishment for this team, and it's all about how they're playing going into March. But you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. They need to find lead guard play from one of the guys on the roster. They need Andre Jackson to just play within himself. As much as Jackson does the extraordinary, his presence on the court is vital when he's just locked in and playing smart basketball. He's got to play within himself. And they need to understand that when you have players as talented as Adama Sonogo and Donovan Klingon, in all likelihood, one of them's probably going to have to sit down. You've got to ride the hot hand there and go with that hot hand because it's whatever helps you win the game. Now, I think uh, all, all good points you, you brought up there. And I wanted to ask your thoughts because we hadn't mentioned Andre Jackson up, up until the, the end there. I mean, I think he had one of my favorite calls of the basketball season in that LIU game when he had that, you know, spin and behind the back, you know, behind the back dribble and dunk there. But what are your thoughts on his game and what he brings to this team in the role he plays? Because he's not necessarily out there going, uh, you know, to try to score a lot. But how do you think he's impacting the game for this team? Well, as his energy goes, the team goes. It really is the case. To me, he's an indispensable player on his best day. You, you cannot make up what he does from a production standpoint. Deflections. Defensively. His activity on the glass. Creating 50-50 creating, uh, balls that his team gets after if he's not getting after it himself. And this year, making some timely threes. Like You can't overstate his importance. He's a freak athlete. He's a freak athlete. We all know that. I mean, he, that's not a, that's not a revelation. But to me, what's what's revealing is is that you could tell the way that Andre plays then rubs off on the rest of this group, and they need him from a perspective of do you set the tone and guard the other team's best player on Wednesday night against Xavier? Do you take away Colby Jones and keep him from having a great night? If Dan Hurley decides to put you on Sule Boom. Can you guard him? Keep him from dribble drive. Like, he's not on the floor to score. Now, he could do a little bit more scoring. He's only combined for, let's see, nine points over the last three games. So it's not like he's been scoring the ball great. But here's the thing. He's a guy they're going to rely upon here to play around 25 to 30 minutes, and he's got to give everything he's got on the defensive end of the floor and the rebounding end because he's the captain of this team. And what he, does, what he does, his teammates then are a reflection of. So when you ask me about his impact, Andre Jackson is UConn's most important player. Everything happens around Andre when his energy and his activity is on point. I'm going to take a quick break from the interview to tell you about my friends at Martin Rosol's Meats. This fourth-generation Connecticut family business produces kielbasa, hot dogs, sausages, and deli meats using Martin Rosol's very own original recipes. 
Their products can be found in grocery stores, delis, restaurants, and hot dog stands throughout the state. And if you're looking for your fill right away, check out their retail store in New Britain. For more information, visit martinrosalsinc.com and go support a UConn fan-owned business. And now, back to the interview. As we look at the conference as a whole here, what are your thoughts on the Big East at this point in the season? Because it seems like it has bounced back pretty nicely from what maybe was just an okay non-conference schedule for the most part, or or non-conference results, rather. Um, But it seems like they've bounced back in a really nice way here. Well, they've got four ranked teams, which is the second most among all conferences, second to only the Big 12, which is the undisputed best conference in college basketball. Jared, back in mid-December, nobody would have guessed that the Big East would have four teams in the top 25. But there's a couple of components, a couple of components here. Number one, Providence and Marquette, they both went on an insane December run. They both were winning at a high clip. They both figured things out. And Marquette got that huge win over Baylor. That really catapulted them into the national landscape. You combine that with Xavier scheduling hard early, then was ready to beat West Virginia, to beat Cincinnati, then was ready for the rigor of Big East play. They had some home games stacked up early, but they were the point is, They were ready to go for those. Connecticut, here's the thing. This is why there's four teams that are ranked, Jared, because Connecticut showed the value of starting a season strong. They then built up themselves as an absolute heavyweight. So then, uh, I mean, some of these Big East teams have UConn to thank. Because UConn has fallen off a little bit, the quality of win doesn't change for some of these teams, and they're they're getting on the national radar. As a result, like that's why it's so important to build up great real estate in your non-conference, because then when a team does pick you off, they get the credit. And then I also think this with the Big East, sometimes in a league, having a bottom isn't the worst thing in the world. It allows it allows teams to accumulate wins. And in college basketball, we're now at the point of the year where if you're okay or good, it's just about winning games. Georgetown, Georgetown, DePaul, and Butler in particular, not being good, allows teams to stack up wins and allows teams to then stay ranked. So for me, everyone's always like, oh, parody's great. You want to beat each other up the whole season. Ask, ask the Big Ten how's that, how that's gone. John, I, I want to dive into just something real quickly here. Um, that, that's looking at the college basketball landscape as a whole, because I think uh, what, what's really interesting when you, when you look at your friends, uh, over at the field of 68. Rob Doster, in particular, has uh, gotten on UConn fans for blaming officiating at times. And then you got your guy, Jeff Goodman, over there saying that refs hate Hurley and have a vendetta for him. We saw, you know, some questionable officiating already this week, whether it was the New Mexico-Nevada ending, uh, Duke-Virginia Tech. What do you think the state of college basketball officiating is right now and the role that that plays in some of these key games down the stretch here? Yeah, Here's the thing. The officials, there's no question that there's some issues nationwide. And I try to watch as many leagues as possible and take a look at games. And I'll bring this back to the Big East. And and, and Jared, the, the one thing I would submit is, is that when you look at the Big East crews, okay, uh, you see those names at the Elite Eight in the Final Four. So my point is, is that The Big East has basketball, and that's what they've got. 
they are going to try to invest as much as they possibly can in being at the highest of levels in basketball. So they try, they do invest with the ACC on top tier officiating. That's a, that's a staple to the big East in their mind. I mean, that's, that's what they're going for, Jared. That's what they're going for to follow up on that point. You know, I'm not here to say um, uh, who's arguing or which fans are mad. Like, that's not what I want to. Uh, fans are allowed to get upset. They're fans. They're fans. I'm a fan. You're a fan. I'm not going to tell the fans how to act and what to do. And I, I, I don't care. I'm a Cleveland sports fan, and I get mad at my team. People don't People don't tell me how to behave. I'm not going to tell UConn fans how to behave. UConn has some of the best fans in all of college athletics bar none put it to the bank no question about it in my opinion this is not something that the big east has to re-examine it's something that the ncaa and around the country needs to be examined like we've got to have we've got to have a, a kind of a come to jesus type of moment where the officiating somehow improves around the country not just in a conference but i think around the country do officials have a difficult job? Absolutely, they do. None of us are saying they don't. But could there be some progressive things done to help their jobs maybe become easier or to help the games become better? Absolutely. I think both those things could be true. And that's the most logical answer I could provide to that question. No, all, all good stuff there, John. I appreciate your thoughts on that. And, uh, just had to throw that your way. As we look to the matchup that we've got now here with, with Xavier and UConn, if UConn's going to be able to, uh, you know, make up for the loss at Xavier, what do you think UConn has to do to win this game? Well, they got to do a couple of things. They've got to defend, defend, defend. You know, you, you, you can't let Xavier get tempo because if you let Xavier get tempo, they're going to be very, very comfortable. So they've got to play in the passing lanes, get deflections, and they've got to be able then on the offensive end of the floor to not allow Xavier's scoring bursts to get them rattled. Xavier could go on scoring bursts. You don't want to get caught up in a fast tempo game. Jared, if, if UConn gets caught up in that, they're going to lose. So to me, you've got to stick Xavier's offense in the half court. You've got to. You've got to cut off Sule Boom. If you let Boom get going, it's like everybody else just falls into place, right? It's just what happens. Everyone else falls into place for that team. So I think it is imperative that UConn makes this a grinded out physical game, that they impose their will on this game. They defend hard. But on the offensive end, here's how you make a great offensive team uncomfortable. You make that team work when they're on defense. So UConn's got to be sharp in their offensive execution. Make Xavier work throughout the duration of the shot clock because then it will get Xavier to be a little bit more sloppy than usual offensively. But if you allow Xavier to have open floor and you let Sule Boom get going, you are in for a long night. It's an important night for Donovan Klingon and Adama Sunogo to keep Zach Fremantle and Jack Nungy from from impacting the game too much. You know that Xavier's going to try to space. They're going to try to space Fremantle and Nunji to the perimeter. UConn's big's got to be ready for that. And UConn cannot let Xavier get more than 15 fast break points in this game. Cut off transition for Xavier. If you don't, you will lose. Make Xavier play in a war, a grinded out war in the snow in stores. 
I like it, and I, I think you've got great points on, on what this game's going to come down to. I, I'll let you uh, voice your thoughts on a hotly debated UConn Twitter topic here. When it relates especially to, to Nunji and Fremantle, there's been talk about playing both Adama Sonogo and Donovan Klingon out there at the same time. Is that something you'd like to see more of? Well, I think it's something I, I that you can try in this particular matchup. I do. Uh, and I think that Sonogo's ability to hit a three allows for it to be doable on the offensive end of the floor. It might call for it tomorrow night at times. Jared, I say, why not? I mean, they're two and they're two incredibly talented players. Like, why would you object to something that, that has two of your most talented players on the floor at the same time? I think it also makes the other team play differently too. And, and makes the other team uncomfortable. I'm not saying you're doing it for 25 minutes. I don't know if you're doing it for 20, but I do think it's worth a try. And I, I think that Klingon and Sonogo are too uniquely talented to not try them together, especially in this type of matchup. I, I think a lot of UConn Twitter will be happy with you on that one. I'll, uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll wrap with this one for you. Given what you've seen from UConn at the, the start of the season, what you've seen from them now, and, and what you see you know, possibly in their future, what do you think the ceiling for this team is the rest of the way? Yeah, I think... <sighs> It's such an interesting question because why can't this team win the Big East tournament and make the Sweet 16? I mean, that's what this team's expectation level should be. What's, what's my honest ceiling? At this point, Jared Kotler win a tournament game. I mean, they need to win a tournament game. They need to win a tournament game. The, the, the ceiling would be to make the second weekend. And then at that point, anything's gravy. If this team flames out after starting 14-0 and they fail to win an NCAA tournament game, that is a massive, massive disappointment. So my expectation level at the minimum, win an NCAA tournament game. My ceiling, find a way to that Sweet 16. All right. You heard it from, you heard it from the man himself. So, John, uh, appreciate the time as always. Uh, and, and I think we'll have to have you back on uh, maybe before we get to Big East tournament time uh, to get a check-in from you. So I appreciate the time as always, and uh, always look forward to hearing from you. I cannot wait to be inside a rocking Gamble Pavilion, Jared Collar. Thank you so much for having me, and look forward to talking more hoops with you down the road. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Collar. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CT Scoreboard Pod, the host at Jared Collar, and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.